Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have two amazing guests. We have uh, Dr. Brent Satterfield and we have on Dana Parker. We got an email from Hannah Faust who reached out to us as a co-founder of a new movement called the Inner World Movement. She explained that, that it is a community of people who believe inner healing takes place more joyfully and effectively together. Our guests today are both part of the inner world movement. They both have their own individual stories, but work side by side, focusing on those who are spiritually evolving and maybe experiencing a faith transition. Dana Parker, a co-founder, a spiritual transitions coach and a motivational speaker is with us today. She is a highly qualified life coach with over a decade of experience in coaching thousands of clients from all over the world. She specializes in navigating life change with emotional intelligence. She is experienced in spreading emotional education as a spiritual practice, specifically through her development of educational materials, public speaking, and her work as a thought leader. She is the voice of the inner world movement. And then we also have on Dr. Brent Satterfield. He invented DNA testing technologies that have impacted millions of people in more than 50 countries, including in the COVID-19 pandemic. Following multiple experiences with heaven, he has become a student of consciousness, faith, and experiences of God in cultures around the world. He has achieved mastery level in matrix energetics, theta healing, Reiki, and other healing modalities in addition to studying the techniques of Native Americans, Hindu miracle workers, and Christian street healers. Brent is the author of Faith to Produce Miracles and Bringing Heaven Home. He is the co-founder of the Inner World Movement and is excited to begin developing online courses and gathering a community of like-minded individuals. We are so honored to have you both. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. How about we make the connection first? How do you guys know each other? Brent and I met a couple years ago, actually, at a class. It was an, an energy healing class, and it was just one of those soul family connections. Connecting with him was like reuniting with an old friend. So it's been really fun. He had his journey, and I had my journey. What's so fascinating about us is we both have had some very parallel experiences the last couple of years, even though we haven't been in total contact. We were kind of along the way. We had little contact But just in the last uh, six to nine months, we reconnected and it's like everything is just kind of synced up. We've been having the same visions of what we want to create, these same ideas. It's been really fun to come together to to really start bringing together our ideas into more of a, a solid form and to move forward with things. So, and we're such a great duo together. I'm very extroverted. He's introverted in a lot of ways and he brings science and the masculinity, but also this really amazing spiritual aspect to things and and then I have my life coaching and personal development and speaking that I've done in my career and we're just such a dynamic duo I, I have loved uh, how the universe has brought us together to create I think we're a great team I think it's so amazing how the spiritual world and the science world just make the perfect marriage together because We've had on, you know, people from Eben Alexander to, you know, shamans and indigenous cultures, and they're talking about the same thing, just different language, but it seems to be all the same. And I love how you guys have all these parallels and synchronicities. 
so Brent, let's start with you. I have got to hear your story. Let's start with your story. Let's start from when you were just a little tiny lad. <laughs> a little tiny lad. Yeah. So I grew up in the South, a lot of uh, good Southern tradition that, that goes along with, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of mentality. I had loving parents who were, were loving to the point of just back off just a little bit. My dad and I ended up having an altercation when I was 14. I left home. And so at that point, my whole motto was, will it upset dad? And if it will, I'm doing that. And so from 14 on, I had a, a pretty wild uh, teenage experience. It, you know, it led to some kind of suicidal feelings, behavior, and I started having my first deep uh, spiritual experiences when I was 18. And it led to a number of life changes, but it's only been in the past I guess it's about the past seven years or so that, that it has gone from beyond just like an ordinary religious type experience into having experiences on the other side. Um, you know, my, my most recent book, Bringing Heaven Home, uh, documents five experiences I had on the other side. And, you know, as, as I've interacted with others who've had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences, it's been interesting to just hear how often that somebody has a, a single experience and how there's differences sometimes in the vocabulary that people are using describing things. But in having multiple experiences, it was an interesting path for me to see at first what seemed like validation for my own religious views and then kind of this expansion where I started to understand the role and the importance of other religious and spiritual traditions. In, in our collective journey to lift the earth. So in Louisiana, we treat our boys like they're like the little messiahs. So you just said messiah <laughs> rather than lad. And, and I know that, and I'm sure my kids too feel, oh my God, I'm overloved here. So um, fun. <laughs> where, did, where, where at in the South did you grow up? I was on the Florida Georgia border. Um, Tallahassee, Florida. It's, it's it's important to make that distinction because you say you're from it Florida is. and it's from Miami. It's like that's right. not the totally south. different. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I love that area. My favorite spot is Destin. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And you know, it seems like all those kids that are right around age 15 and 16 that are going through the anything that can piss off my dad stage always end up at my house for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> You're a safe space. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. That's so uh, funny. That's so true. Have you guys heard Mandy's near-death experience story? No, I have not. I'd love to hear it personally. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> she tells it so good. Come on. You can do it okay. quickly. The short version is when I was I 18, I had no self-care and no self-love. And I was in an abusive mm -hmm. relationship. And between that and exposing myself to asthma triggers, I had a full-on asthma attack. I went without oxygen for almost eight minutes. It's a miracle that I'm alive. I had an outer body experience. You know, I could see infinite vision, hear infinite. Um, it was a, a beautiful, but a very short lived experience, this outer body. I could see the paramedics. I could see my mom doing dishes. I mean, even afterwards, I'm like, why were you doing the dishes while they're intubating me in the living room? She's like, I don't know, I was nervous. How did you know that? <laughs> so station six came to my home and saved me. The fire department was station six. The gentleman who was the engineer was John Woodruff Sr. Three months later, we were asked to go on stage and get an award with the fire department for, um, with the dispatcher. Beautiful ceremony, got to meet John's family. He died shortly after of a heart attack. And then 18 years later, after I had moved five different states, I moved back to Colorado to a different area. 
the exact same asthma attack happened again. Station 13 came to my house and saved me. When I went back to thank them the same way I did with station six, I brought them a bunch of steak. And um, the gentleman who saved me was John Woodruff Jr., his son. Stop. And <gasps> that yeah. is so cool. And so six and 13, and I woke up out of my coma on six, 13, 13. Oh, and, whoa. Yeah, my I know God. I have the chills. And yeah. then uh, about six months into recovery, his father started coming to me in the middle of the night with messages for me to give to his son, John. And that's when my mediumship kind of started taking place. And this, just this energetic shift of heightened senses and a lot of other clairs that I've learned to tap into. Yeah. Now me and John Woodruff Jr. are super, super good friends. He's like a brother to me. Yeah. Talk about a crazy synchronicity. Oh, wow. And I'm sure we're going to have a ton to talk about Brent, because I've also had a near-death experience in a past life regression that felt just as real as the ones I've had mm. on earth. Ooh, yeah. Yes. So yes. Cool. That does sound good. Wow. <laughs> Pretty wild. When you have these experiences, there's no going back. Mm. <laughs> you can't unsee it. Yeah. yeah. I told and you it was good, right, guys? Yeah. So good. Like, wow, yeah. there's so many connections in that family. It's such a beautiful thing that I was handed Evan Alexander's book while I was in recovery. And it was the first time I realized that I could own my truth and what happened to me because I was afraid to speak about it because I thought people would yeah. tell me I was crazy or I was hallucinating. Yeah. And then we had him on like a month ago. Like that is such Oh, wow. A, I'm yeah, glad you got to meet him and, and have yeah. that experience. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, does 613 mean anything to you? Mm -hmm. What do those numbers mean? Does now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Six and 13 are those two numbers that some people cringe at. You know, mm -hmm. they think they're like, yeah. you know, the devil's numbers to <laughs> me. <they're... laughs> the devil's numbers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to me, they're... They have such meaning so and um, are always guiding me. Love that. So let's talk about you, Dana, which is my mom's name. One of my favorite oh. names. Tell us about your story and how it got you to where you are today. Yeah. What a story loaded. I grew up in Utah, born and raised in what I call the bubble of Utah. Just this little sheltered community of all the same kind of thinking Mormonville, USA. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a judgment. It's, it's actual like you know, there's churches on every corner and sometimes right across the street from each other. And I grew up in that. Grew up very empathic and a rule follower and a people pleaser. So I call myself a recovering people pleaser now and recovering perfectionist. And uh, just to train myself that that no longer serves me. So as I did that, I spent most of my life uh, earning love by being perfect and by following all the rules. And I was the golden child. I did everything right. I didn't realize that that was a way I was earning love until in 2016, I had this huge shift. And I had been doing personal development for quite some time. I started 11 years ago in personal development, challenging my ideas and beliefs, uh, rewiring ideas about myself. That time I was working through uh, childhood sexual abuse that I experienced that I had buried in and kept in for a long time. So I walked that journey. But in 2016, I had this really big shift that really changed me. It was the shift of an understanding that I was a people pleaser to this new idea. And I put it into a statement for myself and said it regularly and it transformed my whole life. And it was, I honor my sparkly heart. That was sure. Yeah. I and I have a sparkly heart that I wear often. 
was, oh. I brought it this morning. So I was like, I just, yeah, I, I want that. Okay. This I honor my sparkly heart. It was the beginning of me saying, what is it that I want? What is it that I really want to build? And is this real happiness for me? And what it did is it actually took me down one of the most painful journeys of my whole entire life. And I realized that everything I had built, everything that I had created um, was what everyone else told me I should because it would bring me happiness. And so the painful journey of letting go, you know, I let yes. go of the work that I loved, the company that I loved because it wasn't in alignment with the integrity that I was looking to experience. I let go of the religion because the religion was this middleman that, that the rules, the rule follower in me defaulted to what everyone else was telling me. And I just wanted to be connected to heaven. I just wanted to be connected to God, Father, Mother Christ, who I love. I wanted to be connected personally. I wanted to know their voice so well that, that I would do anything and everything and throw the rules out. And so stepped out and away from uh, that religion because uh, it's easy to get synced up in that for me personally. And I don't hold malice or anger. It was a, that was part of my journey and it was beautiful and wonderful and hard, but left my religion. And then we had in a short amount of time, we had uh, some financial investments that went bad, left my work, left my religion. We had a bankruptcy and a job loss. My husband at the time lost his job all in the same week. And that was in a four month period. And it was like, everything was crumbling. Everything I had built that was the security in my life crumbled. And then within a year, um, I knew it was time to let go and, and transition out of my marriage because it wasn't what I really wanted. There wasn't the experience that I wanted with the person that I wanted. And so all of these decisions, I think outside probably looks really rash, but these are so heartfelt decisions, very much tuning into what is it I want, my whole heart wants the most joy filled, fulfilling, magical life imaginable. And so it was this opportunity to say, I'm going to leap for that. And I'm going to let go no matter how painful I'm going to let go of these things. And, you know, the, the effects of those decisions were were mind-blowing i didn't understand really the full effects or the ripple effect of the amount of you know i'm an extrovert so i lost my work community i lost my church community my neighborhood and then with the divorce um my family i'm the first to leave the church i'm the first to get divorced and and i want to be clear here they were doing the very best they knew how but they were so afraid of losing my husband and so they invited him in and, and kind of rallied around him. And I felt completely abandoned and alone. And it was such an interesting experience because here I was saying, you know, I had all these people, if you will, um, their hands were on my steering wheel of my life. And all of a sudden I'm like, no more. Everyone hands off. And everyone literally backed away. And I see now that as a gift that everyone backed away but it was so painful to let go of all those things that define me, all the things that told me what I should do. And it's scary to leap into that. It's scary to leap into that, those, uh, to follow your heart, to just honor this above all things. And that's where the, the inner healing, those tools, the self-compassion, the self-love, the honoring my emotions and how I feel about something, you know? And I can say now, my family did their very best and I can be forgiving and it hurt like hell. 
all of it matters. All of it is okay. And so allowing myself, you know, I'm so passionate about these tools that we're teaching in inner world movement and this inner world healing for outer world results because of this journey that I've walked because I've lived it, I've walked it, I know it. And now I just want to teach it and share with every person that I come in contact with that wants it because it's been such a gift for me to have these, these kinds of tools to work through the emotions, the emotional education tools to really shift through those things. And, you know, this is the last part I'll just kind of sum up the, probably the most surprising thing for me that I have just loved is as I've stepped into, I'm not the thoughts I think or the emotions I feel, they're my greatest teachers. They show me things about me. As I've stepped into that fully, I allow all emotions, all emotions are acceptable in my world. What I do with it matters. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I have these strategies that I use um, that are healthy, healthy for myself, healthy for those around me. And because now I'm allowing the full human experience, I genuinely can have the most heart-wrenching cry and afterwards feel soul. My whole soul is fulfilled because I just allowed the fullest human experience. I allowed myself to go to the depths and then I allow myself to go to the heights of joy and I am so fulfilled in it. it. It's such an interesting observation to say, oh my gosh, once I get out, once I allow it all to pass, like I did that. I'm a badass. I'm an emotional <laughs> badass. Like that's amazing. Yeah. It's fulfilling experience of I made it through it. I'm I'm doing awesome. We're, we're good. Let's it. An emotional badass. That should be I'm an emotional resume. badass. But you had to get through the grieving. Yeah. Of Absolutely. everything that you were seeking outside of you, all of that artificial happiness. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, as you were talking, I'm sure Mandy was like, oh my gosh, she's a lot like Shanna because <laughs> your story is much like mine. Mm. Brent, it does go back to my DNA. I realized these patterns growing up. I felt that self-love was selfish. I actually used to say that. Mm -hmm. I used mm -hmm. to defend how I was, you know, wanted to be a martyr and for my family. And um, unfortunately that turned into like you just self-destruction yeah. and feeling lost and mm -hmm. seeking love. And then I had these girls and looking at them going, wait a minute, I don't want them to be that way. Like we're not yes. living in the 1800s <gasps> anymore. What the yes. frick? We need to stop right? this stuff. Oh, but when I yes. discovered through my DNA test that my great grandma had passed as white, when we, I discovered this, I went on this journey to find out like who she was. And in that journey, I found out who I was had to grieve a lot of things but then once you get past that grieving process and you're like yes I'm a badass yes <laughs> right yeah, I, did and that. I am worthy and yes. I'm worthy of love I have a sparkly heart as well now right <laughs> I love it so Brent I'm curious I want to talk about this DNA testing that you invented because Shanna and I love epigenetics we love talking about DNA and I want to dive in so my background's in bioengineering. So I, I basically studied the mathematical models that govern molecular interactions and in, including DNA binding. So it was a really dry topic for most people. For, for me, I found it fascinating and exciting. And it was always this challenge to go to the edge of what humanity knows and then find out the next thing. And I wanted to do that in context of inventing technologies for the developing world. So I, I really wanted to bring down the cost of healthcare in the third world, um, contribute with 
the, the discovery and, and diagnosis of disease there. So I have taken all of that stuff that you see on TV, like on CSI, where the police go to the crime scene and they collect the DNA and they identify the bad guy. And so starting with that kind of technology, I then invented in that field to produce new ways of amplifying the DNA, new ways of detecting the DNA that were more sensitive, that were more specific, that were lower cost, um, in part because they bypassed all the, the patents that were out there. Um, and then started interacting with governments in the third world to see if we could get the technology implemented there in a way that would help out with the, the, the cost of healthcare for them. What are you looking for in the DNA <laughs> that would help them? So every living thing and even viruses, which are questionably living, um, they all have genetic material that tells what they're to become, that basically spells out what proteins need to be built, um, what parts of the body that they're, they're going to go into become. So whether you're identifying the fingerprint of a criminal or the fingerprint of a virus or bacteria, it's the same process, it's the same technology. And so typically a very short segment of these viruses or bacteria will be identified that is unique. So they're, they're completely unique from every other living organism, every other virus, every other bacteria. It's a fingerprint, if you would. So that fingerprint is looked for, it's amplified, it's detected, which then tells you, oh, wow, this person has, for example, COVID-19. Now, a lot of the stuff that we would do in the developing world, I'd, I'd work on things like tuberculosis, HIV, uh, things that were impacting people in impoverished nations more than they impact people here in the U.S. COVID's like random. I mean, like everybody in my house, but one person. I mean, like what? So there's definitely a lot of research that goes on there. And I'm not the, I'm not a virologist, so it's not my specialty to like study viruses and why they are the way they are. I'm, I'm more yeah. of a, an engineer, a mathematician. And so I kind of build the technology that's used by the scientists who are then exploring viral behavior. And so it's a little less exciting and yet somehow more impactful oh, because it's, yeah. it's underlying all the different research that's going on. And yet at the same time, you know, to, to really get in and, and talk about math and talk about um, statistics and other things is usually not a, a very fun conversation for most people. Oh, I disagree. But yeah. what I wanted to say about that is because when I was doing my ancestry, so Marie Laveau was one of my ancestors land of discovery, but she was known to sit with the sick and she wouldn't actually get sick. She, well, and specifically it was yellow fever. And so I had done some research on that and found that a lot of the African-Americans weren't getting the yellow fever. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that she was witchy or immortal or anything like that. She just had a stronger immune system against that to fight it. So that's why I was wondering during this COVID thing that if some people just had, I don't know, just genetically some, you know, miracle gene that kept them from getting this. Well, I did hear that redheads get it less. <laughs> what can I you swear? They have, a different, they have a different blood type. Who knows? Well, so I guess that's the problem. <laughs> what was going through my mind while you were talking, um, Brent, is during my awakening and everything I went through with my near-death experiences, everything that I did in my previous life, like didn't integrate into my life now I'm like oh my god I want nothing to do it just kind of like you Dana I'm leaving it behind it doesn't align with my soul anymore mm -hmm. seems like your work that you've been doing your whole life it really still integrates into who you are today and 
and that you didn't have to kind of make that big shift. That's probably not the correct conclusion. Okay. <laughs> um, and, I mean, even as a scientist where you've invested all this time and this energy and this development, and then all of a sudden you're realizing that yeah. it's the way, I mean, cause I, I was trying to impact the, the developing world. I wanted to help people. And all of a sudden you're seeing maybe curing diseases, um, it isn't the most impactful thing that I can do here. It isn't the, the way that I can show up in the most loving capacity. And, and it seems crazy because you're like, of course that would be, yeah. but it, it doesn't, as I've traveled through the world, I've just noticed that, um, and it's not even so much the travel. <laughs> it's, it's more of these experiences. It's like, you, you go to the other side, you experience the other side, you see yourself in a different way. You see the world in a different way. You see the divine in a different way. And all of a sudden it's like this fight that you've been fighting doesn't feel worth fighting anymore because there's this recognition that there never was a fight and that there is only an illusion of a fight. And as long as you stay on that illusion, you stay miserable yourself (laughs) and you propagate misery in everybody else because you're contributing to that illusion. And that the only way to start snapping out of that is to unplug from the fight itself to, to really start connecting to the divine joy that is present in every moment. The science, like it still seems to plug into what I'm doing now, but I don't think it's so much that I still feel like a scientist that I have interest in doing math and other things. It's, it's more of, I, I think a lot of people in the spiritual community, they like the, the validation that comes from somebody who has done all this left brain training, has, has gone through the education and come out the other side and said, okay, that was a lot of fun. But the logical model that the world holds as, as absolute truth is just not as meaningful as connecting with divine joy and divine love. So what the heck happened to you while you were traveling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Did you know? <laughs> so I'm guessing that it's, it's something not too different from many other people who have had experiences on the other side Uh, the biggest thing that happened for me was realizing that my entire model of life of God of reality was upside down. And it's, it's not like you get to the other side and somebody's sitting there and saying, you know, you got it wrong. It's upside down. It's more like you experience love for the first time. I mean, your whole life, you thought you were feeling love because mom and dad said they loved you and society uh, maybe didn't say they loved you, but at least your friends did, or some of them did. Then you realize that none of that was love. It was, you know, the best thing we have in this world, but to get on the other side and to experience absolute acceptance. And for me, you know, the exact opposite of what I had thought coming from a, a religious background that says, hey, maybe there's a hell out there, or maybe that there's, there's shame or you can disappoint God. And, and then you get there and find out, no, <laughs> you absolutely cannot disappoint God. All you can do is disappoint yourself. All you can do is disappoint others and then be disappointed in yourself because you disappointed them. But God is absolutely accepting, loving, embracing, and liberating us from those patterns of self-judgment, of self-hatred. And so to experience love in that way, and I know it sounds like almost too simple, but it restructures your entire view of the world and everything. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the world and saying, this logical filter that I have as a scientist, as an engineer, it's not sufficient. Because it just, it, it doesn't account for this other experience, this other way of being. 
and then the recognition that almost logic in its own right, as, as much as it's useful to predict the world as it is, it's also an incredible impediment for the world to change. That there has to be a willingness to let go of what we think we know in order for the world to become better. It also has a shelf life, this logical brain, which for me, when I was able to kind of grasp that I was a multidimensional being and that this energy, this love doesn't have a shelf life. I have a question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Dana. What is God or heaven, now that you're this badass spiritual, Dana, <laughs> how do you define that now? Or can it be mm, defined? That's a great question. For me, what really took place in the transition, so I kind of want to tie some things into what Brent said too and, and answer this question because I want to tie in inner world movement and what we're about. You know, this journey of, of letting go of all these constructs, letting go of all these ideas, that is a lot of work. We're, we're putting in a statement and it makes it sound maybe like it's easy, but that is a badass like journey that you get war wounds, cognitive dissonance, all kinds of, I call it mind fuckery. It's like a total mind game. And so that's where the inner world movement comes in. And what we're so passionate about is helping people walk that journey and really come to an awareness of the cognitive dissonance, the ideas they're holding on to, those structures that aren't working, knowing how to let those things go, and then stepping into what the heart is saying, what the heart is telling them. And that journey, that's where Brent's had these amazing experiences and he talks about them. But to get there, there was so much work that went into that emotional, mental, working through paradigm shifts, things like that. And so what came in for me, this idea of God is, you know, when I first left, it was like, well, everything's crumbled. What? I don't even know how to rebuild from here. Is it even real? I don't know. And I spent a little bit of time just, what if I throw it all out? You know, what if I throw everything out? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? I felt into all these different paths, these different ideas, started looking at these different things. And I recognized something. I recognized that one, it was really important to let go of all of the box ideas that I was taught of God. Because when you hold on to those ideas, those structures, it actually gets in the way of your, your true connection, really feeling and having that connection and having a relationship. When your idea of God is based on what everyone else has taught you and told you what you've grown up in, that's not real true connection for me. It's a matter for me of, I let go of all those things. And I said, really, I just want to connect. I, I just want to feel you in my life. I want to connect with you. I want to understand you. And I spent a year writing letters to God and him writing back. And to mother, I believe that there's a, a beautiful female that I get to talk with too, that can relate to me. So I wrote these letters back and forth and created this personal relationship. And so for me, it became about what is my joy? What things are magical and light my heart up? Like, that's what I care about now. That's what my truth is based on. That's what my journey is here. And for me, it's, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It doesn't even matter if I, if I get there and that's where I think that answered your question of what is yeah. God like now. Oh yeah. Thank, yeah. You. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's interesting that that word feel, we forget to feel, you know, after my first near death experience, when I was 18, I felt different for the first time I actually was feeling, I was feeling a lot. I was feeling the trees move and breathe. 
uh, I was feeling, I wasn't seeing the sunshine. I was feeling the sunshine mm. on another level. I was, you know, but I was able to, I drank it away because I didn't yeah. like how it made me feel. I just, it's I decided, intense. you know what, this makes me different from everyone. I'm going to drink it away. And then after my second one in 2013, it was like no denying because I mm. feel like I had touched the highest vibration of the divine mm. love and it was running in my blood and in my heart. And so to feel now I feel everything, but sometimes <sighs> feeling everything is really hard. And that's why Shanna and I came up with sense of soul, because we, we there's so many people that are going through this transition and they don't know how to protect themselves. They don't know what to do with those emotions and those new feelings. Absolutely. And so I love what you guys are doing with this movement because it, that was the hardest part for me was not having anyone to help me to process mm -hmm. what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And the feelings, what's so amazing and what I'm super passionate about is you get to be in the driver's seat of your emotions. You get to say when and how and what that looks like. And if you need to, it's okay to put it on the shelf and bring it back off you get to be the driver of your emotions as an empath. That's probably one of the most empowering things to teach another person is you're driving, yes. you decide, and it's okay. If you say, you know what, I'm going to put this aside for a little bit. And for me, emotional eating was my thing. And so I literally, at times when I'm like, I'm putting this, I'm feeling so many emotions tonight. I'll tell my roommate sometimes I'm emotionally eating tonight. Just so you know, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm doing it. And I'm so aware that I'm going to admit it. So there's no shame. So I'm not going to stay in the, in the addiction cycle. I'm emotional. You just and own that like, shit. It's, yeah. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm totally doing this. And I'm, I'm the master. I'm, I'm the driver. My emotions don't drive the steering wheel. I'm on it and um, I get to decide and all of it is okay. So I right. love that you guys are teaching that. I grew up being called a nitty baby, cry baby. I was such a cry baby. Those people calling me cry babies made me want to suppress it or made me feel bad about myself. Now having children, I'm 23 all the way to almost nine. So I was a different mother through a lot of these kids, but my nine-year-old, I allow her to cry. She's very, very emotional. She's totally empathic. And I hear her telling her older siblings, then go cry, like let it out. And I'm like, okay. yes, she's so healthy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's something we're all taught. We're spanked often when we express disappointment as children, we're sent to our rooms, we're yelled at. Do you like me to give you a reason to cry? Yeah, be and tough. Like, wow, no. I have to have a reason. I, I, yeah, right. that, that doesn't, you know, align with you, dad. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have, I have four boys and I am super passionate about this topic of Me too. teaching our children that it's okay. You know, when my boys, mm -hmm. there's a lot of anger and physicalness with boys because anger is a safe emotion for men. And mm -hmm. because the other ones they're taught and it's passed on generationally, that's weak. Right. Absolutely. And so, so anytime they express emotions, it's like, yes, that's acceptable. What you do with it matters. You can go to my room and punch my bed. You could scream into a pillow. We can dance it out. We can laugh it out. We can go for a run. What do you want to do? And it's so satisfying to be teaching the next generation this. I remember the yeah. other day, one of my most proud moments, my five-year-old was so angry. He went to go hit his brother and he turned and screamed in the pillow instead. And it was this, oh. I got up and I, I celebrated him. I'm so proud of you. Good yeah. job. That emotion, you put it in the pillow. Good job. And not on your brother. Like that yeah. is so powerful and it will change the world because across the board uh, the human experience is emotions but we haven't been taught what to do we haven't been no. taught what that means we've been taught that we're bad for experiencing those and so to be yep. teaching that it's okay it's like yeah. the world will change 
quite a bit drastically, actually, if we can teach those things. So, man, I, you're doing great. You're doing so great. At this you you know I'm proud of you. Self-love, awareness, shedding these conditions and teaching about being an empath are just so on our heart at all times, Shanna and I. It's like we so wish that schools would implement a class mm-hmm. on self-love. Mm-hmm. Because for Shanna and I, that was the foundation of mm-hmm. our journey. I get to tell you, Dana, I really enjoyed the share with me your heart writing that's on your mm-hmm. the website. Oh, I would highly warm blanket. I wanted to like get on a plane and come to Utah and like oh, crawl into your lap. I would. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have blankets for it. I have tea. We've already had tea time with some people. And I'm, I'm a coffee girl. It. Tea doesn't yes. do yeah. it for me. Okay, coffee. Tea, I'm a coffee too. <laughs> Shot I'll do it. it. Yes. she's not exaggerating she means it. she's like I, I come here me. like now today yes yeah. <laughs> like let me just let me just listen to all of it I'm, I'm yeah my friends sometimes joke that I was like an angel before that received people after they died and just went over their whole life and loved them through it and I love it through it and I brought that here it's one of those things share with me your whole heart I want to hear I it. love that so Brent I loved reading about um your book it hooked me and I need that book like ASAP. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about this book because it's interesting how Hannah said our book. So this book is kind of like the what foundation or like how does it play in as our book for all of the inner world? It's the calling card. There is an energetic frequency in there and all of us at Inner World Movement sat down and I mean it's like I've had this story written for years and I've just been sitting on it and thinking, I don't know what to do with it. And it feels like I can't quite weave the, the, the narrative together because they're the experiences. But, but the story isn't the experiences. It's kind of like, what did you make out of it? What did you understand from it? How did all that uh, affect your consciousness? How did it affect you? As I'm talking with these wonderful women at Inner World Movement, we discovered that we'd all had similar journeys. I mean, as, as Dana was talking about this deep aloneness and having to kind of walk against culture and family and friends and, and just make these discoveries and they're, they're heart-wrenching discoveries on, on one level because you find that all that you held dear isn't what you thought it was. And then you find yourself coming through the other side into completely new understanding. And so as we're talking and collaborating together, we're recognizing this is a very deep part of, a, of the human journey is, is to walk through that aloneness in certain moments of our lives and to come face to face with the beliefs of our ancestors and our society that aren't quite helping us to connect to God in the most ideal way. And they were saying that they were just kind of making this comment, like, we, we want to start this movement. We want to really get this out there. We're just looking for like a book or something we can get behind. And I'm like, well, I happen to have one. <laughs> and I just You're like, hey, oh, yeah. It was so I yeah, we were, we were in meetings and one of, uh, one of our uh, co-founders, she kept saying, there's a book, you guys, there's a book, like there is a book. And I was like, I okay okay and then when Brent brought showed up and he started joining in and he had the book it was like oh this is it oh my gosh this is so good so good I love synchronicity yeah divine intervention so they all listened I mean I I was really shy and I I still am Um, I mean having conversations with you two is easy right but but the imagination of the world at large and all these unknown faces uh, for an introvert, kind of looking into your stuff and your soul and your emotions that, I mean, you've just laid your soul bare and said all these things that, that people can now say unkind things about and 
do whatever they're going to do. It was terrifying. And, and so Dana and the others at Interworld Movement, just they sat and we went through every page and they listened to it and they shared with me their, their initial reaction, their, their honest feelings. And it helped me have the courage to take that step to put it out there. And then we infused it with the energy of all of us and just said, here's our calling card. And if you're part of our family, let's get together, let's hang out. And so that's what Hannah means by this is our book. This is, this is our joint project. Oh, I love that. You infused it. Oh, I just got this vision of you all with your hands on it. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> it really was. It really was. You know, something that you said I thought was very interesting. It made me think of Jesus and of other, um, you know, ascended masters. Is they do all go through this period where they like take off and like go into, you know, walk through the wilderness or whatever for some time. And I wonder if that's kind of like what they meant in scripture or in writing is that this alone time that you like talked about, Dana, that I know that Mandy and I both experienced as well. Maybe that's like in that space that you're able to disconnect from all of the outside things and connect more inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I just, I think that's the gift. And I think how wonderful to be on the other side of that and to be met right when you're ready with somebody yeah. just to give you a warm blanket and a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and say, sure, mm, here we go again. again. I'm getting yeah. all yummy inside. Like that, that is what we want. We welcome those that are walking that journey. And when they're ready, we believe they're going to show up and that we'll be ready for them because we walked it. And we can be there to just be wholeheartedly present and empathetic and understanding and loving and, and cheering them on. Like, yeah, you're an emotional badass too, because you just walk that. That's amazing. Yeah. Like be proud of yourself. So wow. let me ask, Shanna said, you know, we went through that. I think I'm, don't you feel like in a, when you're going through this, you keep going through it, you keep shedding. Oh, yeah. Cause I feel like I'm going through it again on a whole yeah. nother level now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found myself in a space the other night, crying in my bed, journaling, like, Sometimes, and it was for, let me, let me just reiterate, this was for a very short period. My brain went to, I just want to be my old self again, because I'm starting to feel very disconnected from everyone that I have always Mm -hmm. surrounded myself with to the point where I'm ready to move on. And it it feels uncomfortable and sad for me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Lifelong learner, lifelong expansion. I think that it's, it's, that's what I tell people that I work with. This isn't just like a, a skip and a beat and, and you're there. It's not about a destination. It's, it's lifelong learning and it's a journey and, and you get to yeah. choose what that looks like. But I think that there is ebbs and flows with that and, and that there is heartache with expansion, especially like I've had lots of, of uh, moments where I'm expanding and moving on faster than the people I love most. And that's painful. That's yeah. really hard. You know, I wish our listeners could see that, um, pay, uh, that art piece behind Brent, because that's kind of what a spiritual awakening looks like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's no destination. You're just no. like going around in this grand around. And, yeah. You know what I find to be amazing is another thing I just noticed, like when you're talking about how like at the end of that, everyone's there like cheering you on. Like I, I always thought that that's how heaven would be to mm-hmm. me in my right logical mind or what I was taught, you know, thinking, okay, when we are done with this journey, 
and we go up and meet the old man with the long beard in the throne before we get in there we have the angels open up the you know the pearly gates Mm -hmm. but they're going to be all there cheering you on Mm -hmm. and so you know some of us may think that and wait for that that moment when we could have it here on earth and I think that yeah and you know hence the name of your book friend bringing heaven home yes <laughs> you exactly. get it. Yes. it's amazing that i just put that together when you were saying that that was the visual i had but how do we achieve that here that's what this whole thing is about i completely okay agree. i got it yep you got yes. it you get it yep so that is exactly the point of the book and i'm so glad that that the title just hit home there of bringing heaven home is I, you know, after I had a series of these experiences and it was so beautiful, it kept feeling like, oh my God, I just want to get over there again and again and again. And and the feeling would last for a few weeks after where you're kind of in this um, sublime state of peace. And in some cases, just intense bliss. And I've, I've had a few of them where I come back and think I am, I'm always going to be in that feeling, but then there was always this, this lack of like, I got to get back over there. I got to get back over there. Like, how do I do that? And, but there's a transition to realize that maybe the difference between heaven and earth isn't as big as we think it is. And the recognition, I mean, you were talking about having this huge crowd to like welcome you in and say, yay, congratulations. And, and that's, that's important. It's wonderful. My, my experiences in heaven didn't have crowds and maybe it's because I'm an introvert. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even in a peaceful welcoming. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first welcoming was light. I mean, just, just nothing but light and this time to just understand and welcome in understanding and just to see this wisdom and everything that happened in life and understand why it was created the way it was created and to feel joy in it, to feel peace in it. And then the first person that I'm connecting with is Jesus. And it's a one-on-one meeting, deeply intimate with him looking in my eyes. And then and, and, and there's this life review, but it's not like a judgmental life review. It's more of here are these places that you haven't let go yet, because there's this amazing love here and you're still stuck in this worldview that certain things were painful or hard, or you shouldn't have made those choices because that was bad or um, whatever, the, just judgment. And so the whole conversation, the whole experience was, was going into helping me understand these stuck places to release them. And so of course there's this heavenly feeling. I mean, it's, it's like bliss beyond anything that I I've experienced before or since, and, you know, just joy and love. And there's this moment where you realize it's not being around. It's not being with God that makes it that way. that it's being with God that finally gives you permission to experience this thing that you two have been talking about this whole time, which is self-love, which is radical self-kindness to the point that now you open up the hidden fountains of the heart to experiencing a heavenly bliss that was always there, that you always held the key to, and that you just were waiting on somebody to give you permission to turn, not realizing that you were the one that had to come to the decision. I am worthy to feel this and I can feel this in this moment and I don't have to wait on anything else. And it it took me a while, a number of these experiences to really start seeing that, to recognize that the message wasn't, Hey, come over here because it's great, you know, into the heavenly space, but more of you can do that on earth right now that you can start coming face to face with the hurts and the pains of your ancestors and your society that cause you to feel unworthy 
and you can start letting go of them. You can start healing from them. And just like I had experienced with Jesus, just starting to feel that release of the weight of judgment, of, of hurt, of pain, and allowing a radical form of self-kindness, a form of self-kindness that changes the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about everything, that allows us to, to quite literally bring heaven home. And there was this other, I apologize for going on here, but <laughs> no, please don't stop like full body chills. Like I'm, I'm soaking this up. Don't stop. Yeah. I am the warm blanket right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> During my second experience, the, the deepest part of that one is he was showing me these people all over the face of the earth. And he was showing me like these the people in these different cultures, different religions, different understandings. And there was a wisdom in it. Cause I could see that the world in all of its judgment that holds it down in a space where we feel pain and we feel aloneness and we feel all these difficult things, that those anchors, they're not just coming from one culture. It's like each culture is exploring a different anchor, a different way of seeing life, a different way of understanding. So I was seeing these people in each of these cultures who were who are starting to have the feelings that we're talking about. Some of them dramatic, like I was having, but others more subtle, like, like you're kind of talking about and just I realized I needed to start being kind to myself, that this was a, a deeper principle, that, that truth was not in the self-hatred self and judgment, but it was in the liberation from those things. And, and so um, I'm seeing these individuals coming through this veil of um, fear and guilt and shame and recognizing that every time that one a person would do that, even just a little bit. I mean, like, like the everyday meditation prayer where you have a moment of, wait, this isn't quite the way I thought it was. That even that um, would impact not only our own consciousness, but I saw that consciousness was interconnected. And this was an interesting thing for somebody from a Christian background to be seeing, because it's not like something I was ever taught in church, you know, but, but um, just seeing that consciousness was interconnected and then every person that came through that, it started to disrupt the integrity of that structure until so many people had come through that the entire structure collapsed and the whole world, like everybody who was still on the earth came through in this euphoric moment to experience something very much like I was experiencing with Jesus in that moment. And I'm just going, oh my goodness. And it was this realization that this, this whole idea that there'd be some revelation, divine revelation coming into the world, this rising up, that yes, that's absolutely there, but it's not like it can't happen until we let go of the judgment that prevents us from feeling it. Like until we feel worthy of divine love in this moment, that outpouring of love can't be given because there's just, we're not open, we're not receptive. And so this is a work that we are doing globally, but it's not like a, a heavy work. It's not that kind of work at all. It's, it's a it's a work of joy. It's a work of passion. It's like Dana saying this commitment to her sparkly heart. Um, it is a commitment to the sparkly heart inside of us because in order to bring heaven home, we have to start living as though we were already in heaven. And, and the, the visual I love to give people for that is of a little child just running through the meadow in heaven and they're chasing after a butterfly. And just think that child, they don't have a care in the world. They're not worried about how they're going to pay the bills tomorrow. They're not worried about what their family and friends think about them. They are joyfully chasing what they are joyfully chasing for no reason other than it is joyful. And so for us to be able to become free in our hearts where we can live that kind of joy here, 
we not only make our own selves free, but we start to free those around us. And the, there's a ripple effect where the world starts to reflect back to us what we are creating in our own hearts. Beautiful. I, is that in your book? It's all in my book <laughs> and in a lot more detail. Well, yes, and you know what, you know what it reminded me of is just the mere fact that a lot of people like and say it in a different way, maybe that, you know, we're chasing after some people are calling it the fifth dimension, experiencing it in meditations or in different, you know, ways to ascend and then having that here and that some of us will, some of us won't or whatnot, but that eventually all of us can ascend together, you know, having this peace, which I, I think that is probably the entire purpose of what we're all trying to get to, you know, the end destination. And it's here on earth though. And it's possibly through our, you know, lineages or future lineages that we can now, you know, work on that. Cause I always think, well, I won't be around to maybe see any of that, but I'm sure I will probably come in as like a little butterfly to somebody or something cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, love I had an experience with Jesus. It reminds me of something that you talked about how you felt like you wanted to shrink. One meditation, Jesus was there. He was like, why haven't you seeked me? You haven't called me at all. Literally your whole life you did. Now you're all of a sudden meditating. You like Archangel Michael because he's good looking like Brad Pitt, but you don't call on me ever. And I have been holding you and loving you and there for you. And you cried for me your whole life, right? I'm like, Jesus Christ, literally. I'm sorry, but he picks me up. And he helped me and I shrunk, just like you described when you were face to face with him. Oh my God, so beautiful. I almost cried when I was reading that. And I felt like I became the small seed almost of a, like a tiny, like smaller than a baby. And he was just this massive warm blanket and loved me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yes. Why would I have not? Because you know why? I knew why I hadn't. I had all this guilt from all of my Catholic background, like. I thought for sure, if he saw me, I was going to get a spanking, yep. you know, I was gonna <laughs> all those old up. ideas of him. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, reminded me a lot of um, how you described wow. that feeling of like sinking and shrinking. Well, him. he wouldn't even look at me in my near-death experience. All oh. I got to see was his chiseled <laughs> tan back. So I'm a little pissed off, but I will tell you, <laughs> I will tell you, I know why. Because if I would have looked him in his eyes, I wouldn't have had the strength to come back down into yeah. my body while I was laying in that coma. Yeah. Um, I would have been mesmerized by his love and I would not have wanted to leave. And I was already there because I saw my brother, but my brother had mentioned a specific reason why I needed to come back. And it was for my yeah. son. Mm -hmm. And so I've come to terms with the fact that, you know, all right, Jesus, or, or there's, you know, the other option that he was like, oh, hell no, this chick is crazy. I can't handle her right now. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he really didn't want to overtake your connection with your brother. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to step in and, and overtake that moment because that was so important for you. It was so important. Was beautiful. So what, Brent, why have we all had these experiences with Jesus? Why Jesus versus uh, Buddha? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So my first couple experiences, I mean, I, I think for me, it's because he played such an important role in my life and my ancestor's life. And so for me to, to be able to be released from so much of the shame in this world and so much of the hurt, it had to be through him. I had to have that experience. Otherwise, I couldn't truly let go. And I couldn't let go at a deep enough level that it would impact uh, my ancestors, my, my family, the, the society I've grown up in. And 
that being said, um, it's been fascinating because under his guidance, I mean, and there have been moments where, you know, I, I don't have to be on the other side to feel that influence and to feel that guidance and direction. And he led me to a Hindu ashram where I stayed for a month. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, and uh, because I was still coming out of that background and, you know, there's still some of that judgment, yeah. but, but you yeah. know, this is how it is. And, and I just kept being surprised. It's almost like just can't understand what they're trying to tell us that everything that they say comes through these filters we have of our experiences and we, we dumb it down. <laughs> what he kept trying to show me in experience after experience is heaven is bigger than anything I thought and bigger than all my judgments and bigger than my um, ancestral understanding. And that there's actually space in heaven for all of these different belief systems and not just like, okay, there's a bunch of belief systems and they all lead to the same place. I don't know if you've heard that parable of the, um, the elephant where you got the six blind men that come and they, they run into the elephant and they're, they're arguing what, over what an elephant actually is. And they're like, uh, it's a wall, you know, the guy that's, that's feeling the side of the elephant. And another one's feeling the trunk of the elephant. It's like, no, it's a snake. And another one feels the, the uh, leg and says, it's a tree. And they're arguing with each other. And I used to always think that that parable meant that all paths led to the same place. But my experience on the other side is they lead to very different places. The leg of the elephant is nothing like the side of the elephant, nothing like the tail of the elephant, nothing like the tusks, completely different experiences. And yet they're still somehow all part of this, this bigger idea, this bigger concept. So when I was in India, um, I actually had the Hindu heavens open and just feeling into it. And the description I wrote in my book, um, was it's an analogy about ice cream of like it's like you've been eating vanilla ice cream your whole life and then suddenly you have chocolate for the first time and you go whoa you know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was an option and then starting to feel a little bit guilty because I'm like you know I know Jesus you told me to come here and have an experience but I is it okay that I am like questioning whether I'm in the right one you know and because it was so beautiful it was so wonderful and then as I'm having these thoughts, I heard this voice that said, I am the light that is in all things and through all things. And that means the light that is in all religions and through all heavens. And there was this understanding that every perspective on earth has a value. It has a, a role to play. It's important to the extent that there is a highest heaven, if there is such a thing, that it includes all the light, all the perspectives, all the understandings, all the beauty. It's the difference between going into an ice cream store where you only have so much money and you can only buy one scoop versus discovering that you're an heir to the owner of the store. And you can have as many scoops as you want of as many different flavors. It was all, I was recognizing that not only do multiple heavens exist, multiple experiences of God exist, but that each perspective is at higher state, that it's as we set aside our judgments, our hurts, our fears, we're able to listen to each other, not just to validate our own views, but to listen to other people's unique experiences, what they know that no one else in this world knows. And as we do that, we're able to start assembling the puzzle pieces in a way, undoing that knot of consciousness that's holding us out of the presence of, of divine love and to experience something much more beautiful. And this, this gives rise to this whole idea of we were never meant to do it alone. Not only were we never meant to do it alone <laughs> on our own, that, that loneliness. I mean, yes, there's a, there's a purpose for that loneliness. We go through it, but you come out to the other side and you recognize that you were never alone, that there, were, there was always support there. And even the experience of everybody taking their hands off the wheel, that was orchestrated in a perfect way. But also culturally, we were never meant to do it alone. This isn't about 
just the Christians or just the Hindus or just the Buddhists having their understanding of how we transition into this higher state, there is a unique perspective in each one of those that if understood benefits us and allows us to make greater progress, not alone as individuals, not alone as cultures, but all together. That's right. And there's so much that separates us, so many things against us from achieving that oneness. I had this vision one night and Shannon knows because I wrote about it. It, it wasn't me writing. I, I just wrote it out and then I looked down like, whoa, where did that come from? That God knew that we were going to try to break this connection. So he made it so we, we literally cannot because we are all connected with one of the same energy. So no matter how hard we try to separate, no matter what, we're always connected. I, I mean, it just was like this beautiful vision in my mind. Um, thank you for sharing that. I cannot wait to read your book. Wow. I, I'm going to ask you a question and it's just very, I'm very raw and straightforward. How, how'd you have these experiences? Were you in a meditative state? Did you eat a bunch of mushrooms? Like what was going on? <laughs> I love it. And that is a worthwhile question. Every single one of them uh, started in a different way. And mm -hmm. The first one, I was with a woman who'd had four near-death experiences, uh, each one where she saw God. The first one, she died in a plane crash, and the others were complications from the injuries she had in that plane crash. And one of the gifts she came back with from the other side was the ability to help people cross over without having to die to get there. So that, that's, that was kind of the, the context for the first one, and she just helped me have that experience. The second one, I actually felt like I was going to die. Uh, you know, I don't know if I was clinically dead or not, but it, there was that feeling. I went through the fear where I thought that I was having a heart attack. I actually believed that I died. And then the third experience, uh, getting my attunements and Reiki. I just had this feeling like I, I felt directed, go get your attunements because when you do, like heaven's going to open again. You're going to understand something new. And the fourth experience, Experience. I was at a Hindu ashram and just the Kundalini was just running through me just in such intense waves that uh, I, it just opened again. Um, the fifth experience um, was more subtle. It just the experience of, of feeling connected to all things, understanding uh, self no longer as separate from God, but as connected to and kind of understanding more of the relationship between us and all things. Well, you know, Mandy and I really, I would say more than grieved. There was parts of me that were freaking angry. I have to say about religion. <laughs> I thought I'd get better. And then I'd have like this week and I'd just be like going around the house and just planning things mm -hmm. over 2000 years, you know, like freaking out. <laughs> oh my God. And that's part of my journey is opening myself up to learn history of others who are not like me. Because when I was able to listen to someone who has deep ancestry and lives in Israel and hear the stories, I'm like, wait, what? I'm, you know, I'm always so very shocked. And it does put me through um, a roller coaster of emotions. But I feel like with each part and each time I learn more about somebody else's belief systems, and there's always like this back to oneness. And I feel the world has really tried to separate us in many ways with so many things. But do you find that more people are awakening? I always wonder, am I, is it just my little world, my sense of soul community? And, or is this really truly happening that we are awakening in like masses across the world? 
I actually, while Brent was talking about how we are all connected and, and interwoven and, and when one person does this, it, it starts loosening up this consciousness, this structure that's been created. It's like that drives me. That drives me to do my inner work. That drives me. I am a trailblazer. And, you know, I, I did want to share this because my heart was overflowing when he started talking about that is Shanna and Mandy, you are both trailblazers what you're doing and what you're bringing and, and, and how you're making a difference in this world. It is, it's making a difference. It's blazing a trail. I could feel the power of what you guys are doing for so many people and the ripple effect you share with one person, you have one person on your podcast, one person listens, the ripple effect of those individuals now who have a shift in consciousness, who then go out and every person they're around, whether they share it or not, their vibration is different. Their ideas are different. It makes a huge difference in our world. And you both are that you're doing that. And I just want to commend you and thank you and just share my love for what you're doing because I can feel the power oh, of it. I can you. feel how amazing it is. And just, it feels like an honor to be in your presence in this moment. Like, wow, I thank you for what you're doing. For oh, people that we, I, I receive that. Thank you. I want to be part of you guys too, because I feel that same feelings towards you guys on here today. So thank you for sharing. Mm. Oh, chills everywhere. Thank you. Where do our listeners go to find you, to find your book? To find us, Dana and I, we're both on innerworldmovement.com. We've got an Instagram account where you can follow us. It's also at innerworldmovement and Facebook. The book is on Amazon. It's Bringing Heaven Home by Brent Satterfield. And it's in paperback and Kindle right now. Hopefully in a few weeks, we'll have an audio version out. We love feedback. We love interaction. We are yep. still evolving what we're doing. This is just a, a group of us that got together that have had similar paths that said, wouldn't it be fun if, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find that all beautiful things in my life these days start with those words. So, <laughs> you know, along those lines, we'd love to meet with both of you. <laughs> yeah. We're going to start doing oh. community events. We're, we're looking for people. If you want to gather a community and we can come out and we can bring our blankets and coffee and tea <laughs> and just love on you, we will. And that's what we want to be doing. We want to be traveling and meeting people and connecting, sharing our hearts, letting them share their hearts and creating that kind of community. We're going to start here in Utah. We actually uh, will be doing that here this next, in the next couple of months, we're going to be starting regular events to gather people, but we're ready to start getting out too and going to places. So if people want to gather people, that's, that's what we're about. So we want to do that as soon as possible. Dana, can you break down for us uh, exactly what this inner world offers and looks like for our listeners? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're in process. We have a lot of amazing ideas that are in play that we're starting to create right now. What we have is um, coaching. So um, if you go online, you can see uh, our coaching right now. I am the one that is receiving and loving on the people that are coming through to us. And, you know, I have over a decade of experience. Every session is so intuitive. I, I have honed in on my gifts with that. Every session, pure joy for me. Like I am both build, serving my mission, loving on people. So you can get on there. You can schedule time there. You can also reach out and maybe even do a zoom call. I take zoom calls with people. Uh, We also as a group 
We have been doing uh, some of those gatherings with individuals who, who have reached out to us in the past. So those are some of the things we're working on right now. We're also working on a course and we're working on some, some shorter videos, content creation. We should have a YouTube channel up soon and things like that. So we're in process. And that, that's the fun part is as, you, as everyone continues to tune in over this next year, there's going to be lots of new things happening, lots of new things coming, lots of new things to share. So, And out of freaking Mormonville in Utah? Mormonville, Utah. <laughs> I know. Let me tell you, I'm shifting the whole vibration here. I'm shifting the bubble and it is beautiful and that's what I'm here for that's why I grew up here that's why I'm still here that's what I'm here to do so well maybe Uh, one day it'll be known as the badass sparkly hearted kind soul of Dana LinkedIn (laughs) yes I love it I'd I'd like to make a comment too that if you remember that analogy with the kid chasing the butterfly in heaven and Dana and I are both like that kid so if you send us a butterfly we'll respond. Yes. <laughs> we're very, we're both very spontaneous. And so yes. um, we chase butterflies wherever they show up. Yes, <laughs> we do. And now it's time for break that shit down. I feel to speak to the hearts of those that are listening, that are walking the journey, maybe even considering taking that leap of faith that journey to let go of of what they've been taught, what they've been told they should do or should look after or seek after or or to be. And that leap of faith, you know, into the unknown, that free fall, it is worth it. It is worth it. It is beautiful. Your journey through it, the scars that you experience, the wounds, they will teach you so much about yourself. You will find that you are braver than you know. You'll find that you have more courage than you even knew you had. You will have better confidence and you will feel more empowered because you will step into a life that is truly authentic to your soul, your purpose, why you are here. It'll be the most fulfilling experience in the end that you will ever have if you will take that leap of faith and you will allow those emotions You are not the thoughts you think or emotions you feel. They are your teachers. They are here to show you things about you, to to let you, allow you to have the fullest human experience. And if you will allow it, surrender to the full human experience, it will be the most joy-filled, fulfilling life. And people will come into your world. They will validate you. They will love you. They will support you. They will care for you. And you're always taken care of. There is never a scarcity of love. There is always an abundance of love. And you can call on that at any time, any day, and in any way that you want. It's there. You got this. I believe in you with all of my heart. And my heart is sending you so much love and strength as you walk that journey. And I truly love you. And I commend you for what you're doing. Thank you. Gosh, I just love you. I just, I want, I want to put you in my pocket and take you. Go ahead, Brian, your turn. Okay. <laughs> you better put her in my pocket. You can't have her. <laughs> no, she's great. But you can Can I just have, her. can I just have like one of your little sparkles? Yes. I'll send them to you. She's so sweet. She would. Go ahead, friend. Okay. Mine's very similar with just trusting your heart. 
And then just a statement that you are the only you in this world. And, and sometimes it feels like you weren't made the right way or <laughs> that the choices that you make or the choices others make around you just really make for a rough time, but you are the only you. And there is something beautiful about that. And we need you. We need your opinion. We need what you've seen. We need what you're experiencing. We need what you're understanding. All of your successes and your failures. There is joy in you. And you are loved absolutely. Just give yourself a chance to feel it and to trust what's in your heart to walk with it. Like Dana said, it, it can be a very difficult and scary step. And sometimes there's a few bumps, almost always there's a few bumps in that journey, but it is worth it. And you deserve to trust what's been put in your heart. You guys are amazing. Yeah, in <laughs> fact, um, I mean, like there's no way in hell I am not putting this episode out like soon. I mean, like, you wouldn't be going out until like almost June and there's just no freaking way. Like we need the world to hear you right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. I received that. We've never that. felt more stronger. So. Thank you so much. Thank I mean, you, you already are playing a part in the neural movement. I don't want to leave out Hannah. Hannah, thank you for connecting us. Also another member to your team, Natalia. Tell us about Natalia real fast. Oh, she is the feminine essence of our business. She's an intuitive. She is one of the most amazing women I have met. She she's, has a huge heart and she's going to be a huge part of our content creation. I mean, she's walked such a beautiful journey, lives in loving curiosity with these tools. And so she's just, she's such a huge part of the back end of what we're doing, but also the feminine essence and the energy, you know, all things are created spiritually before they're created physically. And Brent and I, you know, we're the face and we're doing a lot of this physical movement, but she is the rock of the energy behind this movement. Love it. And yeah, thank you guys so very much. It's so funny. My Friday nights, I said this yesterday too, and it's not Friday, but my nights and days used to consist of lots of crazy stuff. If I could do it my way, I'd be having conversations like this every day, all day long, every yes. Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> right? We pretty much do, Mandy. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Thank you so Sounds much. Great. We love you both. Thank you for what you're doing. Yes, and it's an you. honor. Same. Likewise. Thank okay, you. Talk to you soon. Right. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.